Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Beyond the Cover. We want to thank you all for joining us. I am one of your hosts, John Robin. Of course, I'm here with my great friend, Jeff. Jeff, how you doing? Doing fantastic. How goes it? Awesome. Yes, we are very happy with our guest tonight. He is author Brad Parks, and he is going to be on to talk about his latest book, which is going to be available in March. So if you're listening to the show now, just know that the book is available in March. It's called Closer Than You Know, and... It got a great blur from Linwood Barclay, who we found the show, so, you know, that's good. Um, and so it's going to be great to talk to Brad. Um, have you ever admitted that uh, you didn't, you were not happy with an author coming on the show? I'm just curious. Was I ever admitting that was a, um, yeah, well, but off the you air. said you were happy. I'm like, well, that's good, because it is Brad. Yeah. yeah well, wondering. off the air, I'm kind of okay. like, oh, we have to talk to that person? Ugh, ugh. But, you know. <laughs> That's good. But Brad, we love, so we like to have him on whenever he wants to come on. So we want to remind you all, of course, to visit KensingtonBooks.com and see everything that they have going and all their authors and all their books and everything else. But let's not waste any time, and let's get right into it right now. So we want to thank Brad for coming on. So, Brad, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, wow, now you're all freaking subdued off the air. You're, like, going crazy. Now you're like, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. <laughs> well, I have, to, I have to pretend to be cool for, like, three seconds, don't I? Or no, nobody's okay, going to be okay. fooled by that at all. Like all right, I, that's true. Well, the thing is, is that everybody listens to the first three seconds. Then when they hear us talk, they're like, "Fuck it, we're out," and then they get. <laughs> <laughs> so know your audience, John. That's the main thing, and you've got them nailed. So you know, here we are. It's just the three of us talking. Right. You know, you you I you try. told me. Okay, so we we can we can admit we talked a little pregame, and uh, you know, you said it. Just you know, pretend like it's just three guys talking. You know, but. But I, I've seen your audience numbers. That might actually be the case. It might just be the three of us talking. Well, of uh, that's pretty much it, exactly. That's it. It's just the three <laughs> of us talking. You know. But hey, when when I when I bump your book sales, you can sit there and give me a little credit and tweet me out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You can kill them in your next book too for me, please. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, the radio <laughs> announcer who gets killed in a you know whatever that would be cool. So, so should I actually, hey. actually, I don't, I don't want to ruin a surprise. No, I'm not going to ruin a surprise, Jeff, but I've just ruined the surprise. You know, in my, in my 2018 book, you're not there, sorry. In my 2019 <laughs> book, there is a character named Jeff Ayers. He really? makes a brief, brief cameo, and I insult him, and then he's gone, basically. But that's, well, was, you know, was, something. Well, was he, did it's he, just did like he real life. I love it. Yeah. Did he tell you to take off your Superman costume like in the library and you cussed him out and then he left? No, no, I can't. I'm not going to reveal anything more. There, there, is a, there is a brief kind of buried in there, just real subtle. And, uh, and I, like, there, there, is, there is one good shot at Jeff Ayers' broadside, and then I go. I mean, but that's all you need, man. You just need that oh, that's one. Oh, hilarious. Yeah, so just so I'm, I'm memorable just with that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're immortalized in fiction. Well, let's talk about the book coming up here in a month, Closer Than You Know. What have you done with us this time? So uh, this uh, is based on it, – it's kind of like one of those things that every parent jokes about, and that is, you know, they've screwed up somehow with their kid. You know, they've, they've forgotten to send the kid fruit with his lunch, or they've, they've sent a kid off to school with ripped jeans or something, and then they joke, uh-oh, you know, Child Protective Services is going to come and take the kid away. Well, like what underlies that joke is, is, of course, a very serious thing, and that is no matter where you live in the United States, in Canada, in the UK, you know, anywhere in the developed world, really, there is an agency of government that has the authority to take your children away from you. They have that legal ability. And you know, most people who know the social service system know that is only used as a last resort and only used in the most extreme circumstances. But the what if that makes a great thriller is – what if that power were abused? 
And when you really get into the details of it, it's not that hard. Um, you know, in th- this is one of those um, kind of have-have-not stories. And in the have-not parts of the world, social services is a really, really big influence and a big impact on people's lives. I mean, I, I first came across it when I was a newspaper reporter in Newark. Now, bear in mind, I'm a lily white you know, rich kid from Connecticut, upper middle class comfort, you know, child protective services wasn't part of my world growing up. I didn't know any families that were involved in that sort of thing. And suddenly I get into Newark, New Jersey, and I'm getting to know the families there. And wow, it's, it's everywhere, man. Um, And so, you know, kind of just knowing how present it was. And by the way, once it's in an area, you know, people will use child protective services as a weapon against each other. I mean, you know, they'll make the, they'll plant the fake phone call. They'll, you know, they'll, dime somebody out and, and make up a, uh, you know, some kind of allegation. And, and the moment that happens, it has to be taken very seriously because there have been so many cases where, you know, a, a complaint about neglect wasn't followed up on and a child is badly hurt or a child is killed or whatnot. So, I mean, it's, it's a very real thing and it's not that hard to do. So basically we, we begin the book with uh, Melanie Barrick, who is a, a young working mother. She comes home from, uh, from work to pick up her kid at daycare only to learn the child has been taken away by social services and no one will tell her why and then we are off and running with the mystery well let's talk about melanie a little more because one of the things you do right away also is the reader kind of knows what's going on right and she seems guilty as hell (laughs) 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 oh my god yeah that's the point, is it? So, so the the thing that's that's really important in this book is social services has to be acting in a plausible way, right? You know, because you cannot, um, you know, I mean, I don't want to give too much away about you know who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, but there is a you know a real court system involved. Uh, you know, in in Virginia, it's it's called juvenile domestic relations court, and you know, I've done my research, and so I, you get into the weeds with this stuff. And within 72 hours of taking a kid, they have to go before a judge and say, here's why we took the kid. So it can't be all made up from their standpoint. You know, somebody, whoever is working the levers here has to know exactly what they're doing. And and that has to make Melanie look pretty bad in the eyes of not only the social services worker who took away the kid, but the judge who's going to rubber stamp that and say, yeah, okay, we got to take away this kid. All right. So, uh, yeah, things, uh, things have to look uh, pretty bad for her. I'm a, uh, I'm a big believer in, in what I call the anti-Hippocratic oath, which is that, you know, so if the Hippocratic oath is for doctors and it's do no harm, the anti-Hippocratic oath is for authors and it's do lots of harm to your characters. Uh, and so I do, God, all sorts of awful things to Melanie Bear. I really, I felt bad for it in a lot of ways. You know, there were days when I just felt guilty about what I was doing to this woman. I think the real Nadir was, um, and, and Jeff has, has read the book and, and reviewed it, so he knows. I felt that the low point was when I had her working at Waffle House. Like I, I think that was really so. You know, the, the the plot moves along. She loses her first job. She, you know, and now is being ordered by a judge. She's being told, "Look, if you're going to get your kid back, you need to have a job. You know, you need to have an income to be able to provide for this child." And the only person who will hire her is Waffle House. Do you know what somebody working for Waffle House in Virginia gets paid? Two dollars and thirteen cents an hour plus tips. And it's not just that. You, they got to go home with that smell. Yeah, that, so they're wearing the blue shirt and the black pants. Yeah. They, come, they come home smelling like waffles and burned coffee. And let me tell you, the tips at the Waffle House are not getting you up much over minimum wage. So, yeah. you know, the you're looking at the, somebody making – The tips making, the Waffle House make a lot of noise because there ain't a lot of bills going down. Yeah. <laughs> are you an expert <laughs> in Waffle House? <laughs> Maybe well, I know, lived in the I ha- Midwest for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and and I live in the South now, so I mean, Waffle House is just it's it's ever present. I mean, oh yeah, you know, it's ubiquitous. So, uh, right. uh, but yeah, I, I did feel bad when I when I made her work at the Waffle House because I think even even the people who do work at the Waffle House will tell you it's not that fun a job. Um, so I, I felt I felt really terrible for what I was doing to this woman because you know the other the other thing about Melanie is 
Um, and I, 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 I actually based her on th this is okay. How in depth my research can get. And, and now I'm really going to give away some of the tri the tips of the trade here, guys. And you know, here's how a pro does it. Oh my God! So yeah, research. I, that's that's a big tip. The research. And editing. They, it, authors need to know that. Yes. Yeah, so research. Here's my research. Right. I know I'm going to be writing a book about social services that involves the foster care system, all this kind of stuff. And I come home one day and, you know, I was kind of in that, in that just thinking about it phase. Like I wasn't going to start oh, writing no. it for a few months yet. And my kid's babysitter is talking and my, one of my kids says, oh, Miss Nikita, that's the babysitter's name, obviously. She has 20 brothers and sisters. And I'm like, what? Holy well, Toledo. it turns out. Miss Nikita grew up in foster care, right? And I get this like brainstorm, like, oh my God, I can have this. Miss Nikita got overtime that night. <laughs> yeah, she did. She no, she got. I, I took her to lunch, basically. I, I took her to a nice lunch. She got like a, a free cheeseburger out of the deal, um, and she liked. I mean, I think she genuinely enjoyed talking about her experiences because she had gotten out of it. She's now a you know well-adjusted college student, doing great for herself, all this kind of stuff. But like, you know, for her, to, and that was like, like that that lightning bolt of like, oh my God, I'm about to plunge some poor mother into the foster care system and what if I made her a survivor of foster care herself so that she'll know more than anyone what a horrible horrible potential thing this is for her baby to be put into it uh, so yeah so it was just dumb luck and um, and taking my kids babysitter to lunch that's that's my <laughs> my research story for this book now do you think by putting like Melanie and your characters and these situations that are so horrible that your readers just have that much more love for them and want them to, you know, get to the end okay? Well, that's the hope. Um, and, you know, and mind you, John, like I am, I don't plan any of this stuff out. I'm not a plotter right. in any way. You're an way. organic I'm writer, correct? Um, organic writer, 100% pantser. So when I'm going through it and I'm saying to myself, oh my God, how is she going to get out of this mess? You know, hopefully that's what the reader is saying. And, you know, uh, my dad is actually a huge, huge reader of crime fiction um, and, you know, was the one who kind of introduced me to all the, the great novels of yore and, uh, you know, and still plows through a couple of books a week. And so he w he's one of my beta readers. I mean, he knows it better. And he was actually reading this over Thanksgiving and going, how is this? How are you going to get her out of this? How, now I'm, I'm really worried here. Like, and he shut himself away all during Thanksgiving because he was deeply, deeply worried that Melanie Barrick was in fact in in real trouble here and was not going to get out of it. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's you know, hopefully what the reader is feeling too. Wow. Now I, here's a question. You know, and I was actually thinking of this before you came on, and I was like, I want to see if I can ask Brad a question that he's never been asked before, and this kind of came into my mind. So let me see. I've never asked this to Brilliant. any author, actually. I, this is the, you're the first one, so if it goes poorly, I'll never ask it to another author again. But Here we go. Here, here it is. You ready? Drum roll, please. So here we go. If your name's not on the cover and I pick up a book, how will I know this is a Brad Parks book? That is the dumbest question I've ever been asked. Son of a bitch, um, I knew it! <laughs> you know, hang, I know, hang you know, on, Brad, before you answer that. Yeah. I know that you just addressed this in your video series today. Jeff Ayers is on the ball. Okay, somebody somebody give bitch, him 25 cents in Red Lollipop. <laughs> because, yes, he was he – was, one of one of the, uh, the the twelve people who viewed my Facebook Live today, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, so see, I never get on is... Facebook. That's why. <laughs> so, John, since you're so out of the know, um, I'll I am. fill you in. But, Social you know, media to, to me is a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> it, it is. It is. But look, look, so look, just look who our president today, is. Sorry, I just uh, killed thirty percent no, of my audience. No, let's not go there. We're oh, not well. going there. We're we're talking about books. God help. I know. Us. Anyhow. Um, you know, what, what I was talking yeah. about in the, like in the, the anyway. Facebook Live today was um, was really about voice, right? And that is, I think, the, the authors who I love personally are guys who you can strip their name off the cover. You can strip any identifying factor. And, like, I could tell you, yeah, that's a Harlan Coben. Yeah, that's a Megan Abbott. Yeah, that's a Robert Crace. That's it, you know, like, and, and I just, I think you can do that, you know, so I'm probably a little too close to myself to, to, to be able to answer that question for, you know, what is a Brad Parks book? Uh, I mean, I've, I've certainly had readers say that to me, that they, they feel like 
they could identify one of my books without, you know, any, anything. And that, that to me is, is high praise when you get that. Um, but I don't know. I, I can't, I can't answer for myself. Maybe, maybe Jeff can answer it. I don't, I don't know. But um, um, actually I can. And I would okay. say, I would say, yes, I could tell if you were writing a book and I, I give you a great example. Um, you have characters who I don't want to say they're sarcastic, but they're more just they react in sort of a non-stressful way with humor, and I right. get that vibe from everything you write. Yeah, because you know I guess and I forget who said it is is basically every every character in a novel is is probably some facet of the author when you get right down to it. And so, yeah, I think a lot of times the characters will react to things the way I react to things, which is, yeah, oftentimes to make a joke out of something, to make light of something. I think it kind of has to be, because it makes them look more genuine when the character does something and it's not fake. And, you know, there's some pretty good authors, you know, there's a lot of readers out there that pick up on stuff like that, and they won't get book two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, could you talk a bit about balancing uh, between the humor and the suspense? Yeah, and that's you know, and something um, you know for for folks who have followed my career, uh, you know, I've definitely dialed down the humor um, over the course of many books. Uh, Closer than you know is my eighth novel, and some of the slapsticky stuff that were the hallmarks of the first couple mysteries. You know, I had the series Carter Ross, um, which I I did because I could. I don't know, it was fun, and then I, I think I've I've sort of more come to realize that. You can't feel suspense and humor at the same time necessarily, um, so that it's it's okay to have, you know, a, a little piece of dialogue that makes someone chortle, or you know, some maybe a little bit of a wry observation. But but most of the time, that's probably going to um, to break the the spell that I'm looking to to cast over you. So I mean, I think if anything, I, I've tried to <laughs> tamp it down as much as I can. Um, and, uh, you know, because it, it does, I think, interfere with that tone. So, and it's, and it's hard to do. I mean, I I guess it's, it's one of those things where I I think people like to laugh a little bit when they read a novel, but if they're laughing too much, then that's maybe not what you should be doing with a work of suspense. I don't know. Did I make you laugh too much with this one, Jeff? Uh, No, not at all. I just thought it was the right balance. That's why I was wondering how you pulled that off. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, the characters have to be true to themselves. I mean, that's that's got to be the number one rule. If if you feel like a character is, well, being true to themselves and true to the situation, um, you know, and, and sometimes it does take an, an editor. Like I, I know with Say Nothing, which was my previous book before Closer Than You Know, uh, I was working with a new agent at that point, and she was really terrific. Alice Martell is her name at like putting that little asterisk where essentially I had let Brad Parks come out and play a little too much, right? Where, you know, like I remember there was there was one scene where I had a judge who was the protagonist of the novel at a political fundraiser, and he's kind of making breezy observations like I would do at a political fundraiser. Or, you know, when I had my, my reporter character, Carter Ross, he would do that. But in this particular instance, the judge's children had been kidnapped like three days before that. And, you know, and her point was, look, if your children have just been kidnapped, you're not making breezy observations at a cocktail party. You're going to the cocktail party because you have to, because you have to keep up appearances, because the, that's what the kidnappers have told you to do. But the whole time you're feeling like you want to throw up. And, you know, and if somebody offers you a flute of champagne, as happens at a fundraiser, you're not going to, you know, drink the champagne. You're going you're gonna to want to smash it in someone's face. So I think it's, it's like the, the balance there is, is really making sure the, true, the characters are true to themselves and true to the situation they're put in. And hopefully if you've done that, um, you know, it, it will strike people as the right balance. Cool. Now, go what are you going to say, Jeff? Oh, no, no, go ahead, John. Okay. Well, so, of course, you know, your, your fans are familiar with, you know, the six books you wrote in the Carter Ross mystery series. And now yeah. you kind of come out with, with a couple standalones here, say nothing, and then you got now this one closer than you know. Is it because this was a subject matter that you didn't feel would fit, but you knew you had to write? What, what kind of goes into the thought process of getting out of the series and figuring out that you want to do standalone? Yeah, I think it it, it really – the stories that seem to be calling to me are not ones that would fit in my series right now. 
um, you know, the, both the, the beauty and the curse of a series is it is a prescribed world that only certain things can plausibly happen in. And I think I had actually really been wanting to write a some kind of you know foster care social services child protective services novel for a long time now i mean you know really the the event that kind of sparked this in my mind in some ways goes back to like 2003 so i mean we're talking about 15 years in the in the gestation process in some ways and as i got closer to it and thought okay yeah now is the time i really want to write that novel uh, you know i realized the protagonist had to be female and so that pretty much automatically at that point means it's not going to be a Carter Ross novel. Um, so it's like, all right, well, I guess we're not writing Carter Ross. Um, you know, and, and my 2019 book is, is also not a Carter Ross because it, it was another book where um, it, it's about a, a, an out-of-work actor who was hired by the FBI to go to prison to help infiltrate a cartel, right? Because there's a, there's a former cartel member who's, who's incarcerated, and now the actor has to get close to him and get certain information out of him, and yada, yada, yada. Again, not something that a reporter could or would do, so it just couldn't be a Carter Ross book. So I, I don't know. Like Other stories have kind of been calling to me that have, have been really – I've been hot to write those, and, and I guess that's the – you know, probably the important thing. And, and I know, you know, there, there are some folks out there who, who want another Carter Ross novel. And, but I think more than that, probably they want me to write the best book I can write at the moment. And, sure. you know, for, for me lately, the best book has been these standalones that have been kind of taking me in new directions, which is really exciting. But at the same time, I miss Carter. And I, so hopefully I will get back to him someday. I just don't quite know when that day is yet. Gotcha. Well, I'm Very selfish. Nice. I just want you to write another damn book. So I'm just <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Just and, uh, and I have and will because my children are hungry. So you, you fear not. Oh, I, there you I'm, go. I'm writing another book. <laughs> um, since since John brought this up, I'm kind of curious because we do have a lot of listeners. No, no, no. Good uh, job, Jeff. All Jeff, three of them. The stupidest who, question um, he ever heard, Jeff. He said that was the dumbest <laughs> question. So I don't know if you want to follow that one up. No, uh, we have, we have a lot of listeners who are just starting to write and want mm-hmm. to become published writers. And I'm wondering, for someone like that, what is better for them to start writing, a standalone or a series? Um, so I would that's say that is a, that's a great question. And I would say if, if there is a book of your heart, the book you are burning to write, the book that that absolutely is your To Kill a Mockingbird, don't write that book because nobody gets their first novel published, right? And probably nobody gets their second. When I say novel, I I really should say manuscript. Nobody gets their first manuscript published. It's it's one of the dirty secrets of the game. And probably the second manuscript is not going to get published either, and maybe the third and maybe the fourth. I mean, you know, so I I think there's – you have to know yourself as a writer. Now, like I came to writing fiction from a long, long career in journalism. So I knew a lot about how to string sentences together. In retrospect, I didn't know enough about how to write a novel. So I had some learning to do, but I was at least, you know, within the process of writing, I was, I was a professional writer by many, many years by that point. So, um, you know, so it kind of depends on where you are, but, but knowing that, you know, man, it's it's the first pancake theory, you know, like that that first pancake is always going to be messed up. So don't write that 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 book you're burning to write. Write write it as a as an exercise in can I write a novel? Can I complete it? And yeah, you have to sweat over every word and you have to pour blood onto the page and you have to do all those things, but um, but but write it knowing you're going to throw it away uh, after you're done editing it and, and pouring over it. I mean, I think there's a, you know, and this is the the problem with self-publishing right now. And, and this is not to take anything away from there. There are a lot of wonderful self-published writers out there, but there are also a lot of people who get impatient and they uh-huh. are putting things in print that should not be in print yet. Uh-huh. And if there's anything to learn, it's like you only get one chance to make a first impression in this game. And that is with agents, it's with editors, and most importantly, it's with readers. And you know, and, and if they are going to look at the your first effort, and they're going to go, oh, you know, Brad Parks, that guy's lousy. 
he said, I don't want to read another one of his books. I'm not paying another, even if it's, you know, two ninety nine or one ninety nine or 99 cents or whatever, I'm not dropping 99 cents for this guy. He stinks. You know, and so I think mm-hmm. there, there, there can be a tendency towards impatience. So, you know, I think, yeah, for the, but man, this is getting to be a long answer, but for the, for that, that person who is who is just really starting out and just figuring it out. I mean, really, actually, write short stories first, and then you know, and then you know, work your way up a little bit. But um, but definitely don't write the thing that you're really, really, really passionate about to begin with. Um, and so, is that a series? Is that a standalone? Uh, you know, I wouldn't. You know, I think <laughs> one trap that sometimes writers get themselves into is. They, you know, they've got that series character that they think is going to be so awesome, and they write that series character, and of course the first manuscript doesn't get published, because again, nobody's first manuscript gets published. And yet they love this character, and so they write him again, and they write him again, and it's actually the fourth one that gets published, and they're saying things like, well, you needed to have read the first three books. And it's like, dude, yeah. the first three books are in your drawer. We can't. Exactly. <laughs> that can, that can right. be a little, it can be a little difficult. Um, I mean, I know, you know, looking back with Carter Ross, I, I certainly made mistakes. I, I, you know, I would certainly do things differently, having done you know six books with him now. But that's that's of course one of the challenges you create for yourself. You're like, well, I wasn't that smart when I was writing book one, so I guess I'm stuck with that. But um, yeah, um, it's a. I mean, you know, and, you know, and uh, what the, the one thing you just said that was interesting because I want you know I listen to a ton of music, and music is a little bit opposite of authors. Like you said, authors rarely get their first book published. And in music, it's almost like the first album is the best from the band because they've had seven years to write it and get it ready and get it done. And then after that, they were doing like one year or two years, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s. So almost the, the debut album typically is like the best, the raw, the, the way the band really sounds, whereas an author is a little different. Like you said, they're really raw to the point where it's so bad you don't want to read it until they can get better. Right, right. Um, although, I mean, there there definitely are some authors out there who who have that that sophomore. Oh, I'm sure there are fear because yeah, they they spent six years polishing and and repolishing and whatnot, and then suddenly, I mean, I I certainly remember, I uh, I signed my contract on July eighth. 2000, or I, I, I got the, the notice that I was going to be you know, getting a deal. I got the call, basically. July 8th, 2008 is when I got the call. Like, very exciting right. moment in your life and everything like that. And when I got the contract, it was probably August by the time I got the contract, it said my next book was due January 27th, 2009. You know, and you're 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 going. You're like, wait, what? what? <laughs> that's that's only six, seven months away from now. How the heck, you know, like, um, yeah, and again, I'm, I was fortunate to be a journalist, but it's like, all right, I got to get cranking here. You know, you don't you don't have the luxury with the second one. To uh, yeah, you know, the to one just, thing that, that I would add because you go to Thriller Fest, you've been to Pitch Fest, and you see a lot of the writers, and you see the authors, and you'll hear from the agents about like what you you know get back. I just don't understand if you really want to be serious in this business. And this is what you want to do and make a living at and be able to feed your kids and be able to do all those things and be able to write all day. Why would you not want to get a freaking editor that will do the right thing and not be your friend? Because too many of these authors are like, well, my mom thinks I'm a great singer. Yeah, well, oh, you yeah. suck and oh, never sure. should be on American Idol. Stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so you know, why like, do you think? But why do you think they don't? I mean, they don't. They, they they take the step to go to Thriller Fest, and they're all excited. They're spending hundreds of dollars or thousands to fly across the country, and then they do it, and then they say yes, and then they send their work out, and it's for shit. Ninety yeah. percent of the short stories we get for the magazine, I mean, literally, the review team they, they write back and they go, "Do these people even spell check their work before they send it?" <laughs> so, so basically, John, it's that. There are not enough assholes like you and I in the world oh, okay. telling people this is no good. So I actually I, I had an experience, and I, and I won't say the, 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 the guy's name because he was an awfully nice guy, but I, I was sitting in my local library this week, and uh, this nice guy comes up to me and starts talking to me about writing and whatnot. And, uh, and at the end of it, uh, he, he says, well, I see you're about to check out some books, and he scurries to the shelves, and he comes back, and he said, we, you know, would you like to check out mine? And he puts his self-published novel down in front of me. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll check it out. I'll give you a shot. And I'll give you a shot. And I took it home. And, and, and this is, by the way, something I never should have done. But I took it home. I picked it up. And I could clearly tell the guy had some writing chops, right? But 
no one had ever talked to him about how to tell a story. So he has this kind of like classic PI takeoff where it's, but it's like the guy is like telling you about how he likes his coffee and telling you about his favorite oh, seat in the corner diner and making all these wry observations about gin. And for, has again, nothing from a, to do with the story at all. Exactly. From a pure writing standpoint, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. From a storytelling standpoint, it's a disaster. And no one has ever told this guy this. And that's all it takes is like, he, you know, after, after like multiple, multiple paragraphs of just nonsense and worthless garbage, you know, he gets around to the fact that he can see that there's a dead body in his apartment across the freaking street. You know, and you're like, yeah. start with the dead body. You know? and, and, but just nobody obviously told, and he went through the whole process of, of self-publishing this novel where nobody ever told him that. So I, like, and I think there's this, this desire in, Did you? in publishing. Did you email every, him and no, tell him? I did, I did, because I'm an okay. asshole. There need to be more assholes. Like everybody is so nice in publishing, they just won't tell you, and they'll give you these rejections that are very kind. And that's, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. For for a frictionless existence, that's probably the easiest way to do things. But it doesn't do anyone a service. So, like, yeah, I did what I what you probably shouldn't do because I, you know, I don't. I got stuff to do. I don't want to be this guy's critique partner my whole life. But at the same time, he needs to know this stuff. You know, this stuff that you're writing is not good. You know, and it's and it's superfluous. And you know what? Maybe that classic hard-boiled noir novel from 50 years ago that you really looked up to and you loved could get away with that because it was an author that everybody esteemed or whatever. You can't get away with that anymore. It just doesn't fly. And you know, and and if somebody hasn't told you that yet, they should. So, yeah, it's on me to be the asshole, and it's on you to be the asshole. But but I think we need to you know, probably communicate better with those who are, who are trying to do this about, you know, what really works and what really doesn't. Right. I'm a book reviewer, so I get uh, yelled at a lot. (laughs) 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 Well, you know that in advance here, but um, I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about uh, what you mentioned. Every novel needs a spider when I your first, what, what does that mean? So every novel needs a spider. This is another thing John is missing by not being on uh, on social media. But um, oh god! So the, along I, with so everybody else's freaking dinner, I, I'll stay off. <laughs> I, I'm loving so, the series, by the way. So I'm excited oh, to see you. the rest. No, of then it. then I've got I've got one person who loves it, so I'll, I'll have to keep it. Email going. it so, to me, dude. I'll watch it on <laughs> you put it on YouTube. <laughs> right, fair enough. Fair enough. So. Um, so I won't I won't go into the long the really long version of the story, but the short version is I'm typing along one day in my office and I look up in the corner and I see this massive spider that's about the size of my hand. And wow. like John, I am a total arachnophobe, right? And oh, so I yeah. start I start looking around for like so like I'm sorry, I'm not catching release when it comes to spiders. I'm gonna squish this thing. And like all I see are either books that I've written and I don't want to use those, or books my friends have written, and I don't want to use those. So I like find a, a, a balled up, a rolled up piece of newspaper, and I go up to the big spider. And it's one of these spiders that's like you know got the like the muscles and the hair, and he's looking the at me like, hey, bud, what's going head. on, it's not man? Arnold you want to... a spider? Yeah, exactly. No, no, he was he was a good old boy. He was just like, hey, hey, man. He he had like the bandana oh my God. and stuff you like sound that. Like my wife, and it's a little black spider. Yeah, no, no, no. It was big, big. A big one. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. You know, we're 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 in the south, son. We grow them big here. Anyway, he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, what, what you need? Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, Mr. Spider, I have to kill you now. So I whack him with the paper. Poor spider. Well, he just disappears underneath the filing cabinet, right? So I'm like, okay, here we go. So I go back over to my desk, and I sit down, and the whole time I'm not thinking about the spider. I'm just, I'm just typing, and there's no spider here. There's no huge. And then I feel something crawling up my leg. Yeah, the spider. You tried and to kill him. I yeah, screamed like a child. It actually was just like a hair tickling me or something like that. Like, but the, like the point is, and this is, this is the metaphor for books, a book needs to have a spider. It needs to have something that the reader gets to glance 
very early on, and then it disappears behind a filing cabinet. And the whole time the reader is going, oh, God, when is that spider coming back? When is it going to happen? Because they've, they've maybe, like, maybe when they saw it in the corner, they didn't get to see the whole thing before it ran behind the filing cabinet. But it's there, and it's lurking in their imagination. And even as the author is going on and introducing the characters and the setting and all this other stuff, the reader is thinking, all right, but when's the spider coming back? And that's why I say every story needs a spider. All right, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> well, John is I'm, unimpressed. Jeff really liked it, but John's like, yeah, I what thought it was pretty No, awesome no, no, I knew. No, I, no, the thing is, is that I knew Jeff wanted to respond, and he's just at like a, like a one-second delay, but if I were to say something, then he wouldn't jump in, so I was going to let him respond first. No, I'm just sitting there like, I thought you were going to say that you smacked the spider you looked, and it like stayed to the paper and started crawling at your hand or something. That's what I was kind of <laughs> no. waiting for. No, and I was like, good, because you shouldn't kill spiders. You should take them outside. I take all my spiders outside because you know what they do? They take care of the other insects. I'm in aware. I know. I know. The world would be overrun with bugs in six days if it weren't for the spiders, all that you stuff. Know, but when remember, they're that big we, and they're in my office, yeah. they're marked for death. Okay, that's how it works. <laughs> no bees oh, in the world oh. means no humans in the world. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm going to ask that. another question. And first of all, um, I wanted to say, I've been wanting to say this for a while, congratulations on escaping New Jersey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just saying. Um, yeah, but where in the south you did you go? Did you go, did you go like south or southwest? Uh, so, so Virginia. Uh, so yeah, south. Oh, south okay. So you just went, you went a, just like a tad south of New Jersey. Well, it's like never, six hours, but yeah, sure. Oh yeah, I never knew you were from Jersey. My family's from Jersey, like Millstone Township, New Egypt area, Freehold. Oh, okay, yeah. So you 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 do any? Uh, see, that's like really like the South. Uh, you do any stock car racing there? That's you know they got the big stock car racing. That's in New Egypt, isn't it? Uh, it might be. That's where my uncle and my aunts and uh, all my cousins they all work. They, that's where their tile and rail business is. It's called Maranatha, and that's in New Egypt. But they live. In like Millstone Township, I think one of my cousins lives in New Egypt. Another one used to, she would live out by Trenton and come in. Um, but they were all, you know, right around. But we used to come up all the time, go to Freehold and go to that area. And, you know, we, we went to the first, you know, to Freehold Raceway, which was the first horse racing track. We loved to go to that, but I didn't see the stock car stuff. Yeah, there, no, there was some stock car racing down there. And, of course, okay. the other thing, Freehold is really known for, of course, is the um, – uh, in a lot of horse farms, and uh, yes. I actually did a big, uh, God, like a four-month investigation at one point about drugging in harness racing, uh, oh, wow. because it, well, so the Meadowlands was actually for a while, and it's not the case anymore, but it was like the Yankee Stadium of harness racing. It had the richest harness racing purses in the world, and so oh, yeah, Meadowlands is a huge, that's right, a huge racetrack, yeah. Yeah, and so Freehold was kind of the closest place that there was enough land to really be able to have some big horse farms. And so a lot of the harness horses were, were stabled in Freehold. And, um, you know, they were, you know these, these harness racing guys were, I mean, they were all, well, not all. There were a few virtuous ones for sure. But, you know, they were all cheating to various degrees is what it basically came oh, down to. Oh, I get you. I get you, um, yeah. And so, you know, and, and, you know, whether it was milkshaking a horse or steroids or whatever, it was a, uh, it was it was a wild wild scene, and so I, I spent a couple of months down in Freehold, uh, you know, going from farm to farm, and it was it was a oh, thing cool. where like basically I'd get one guy one trainer to spill a dirt on another trainer, and then that trainer would spill dirt on back on that the original trainer who would spill dirt on six more trainers, and you know they were basically all implicating themselves by the end. It was uh, it was quite incestuous, but if you were a newspaper reporter as I was, it was wonderful. That's cool. Yeah, I got a question. I got a question. Say, Sean, we're talking freehold. But I have a question, though. When you're writing... Well, hold, hold on, John. I've got a shot here, okay? Okay, hold wait, on. Wait, shot of what? <laughs> um, I was going to say, I grew up in Virginia as a kid, so uh, around oh. our own area. So, yes. Where, and then uh, when you? I was about five, I moved to eastern Washington State. Where then you know I got the ball cap and had to change my name to Bubba. So I'm just uh, right, right, of course. But but where were you? Where were you born? Uh, Arlington. Oh, okay. Well, that that's not really Virginia. You know that, right? That that's I the, know the that's the like the rest of Virginia just sort of looks up in that direction and scorns it and and laughs at the amount of traffic they put up with. Um, right. You know, we're 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 in the pretty part of Virginia. It's much nicer here. Um, we're in, uh, my uh, family lives in Culpeper. 
Okay, yeah, sure, sure. That's, uh, yeah. that's, that's at least getting – so that is actually right where – the um, the Mason Dixon line really truly is at this point, um, you know wherever right. they they said it was once upon a time. That's about you're, you used to you're say it was actually, North Maryland, a, but not anymore. Yeah, yeah it's it's maybe <laughs> a little south of Culpeper, but it's around in that because that's where finally you're out of the D.C. sprawl, um, and so that's that's actually where the South really begins and where Virginia really begins. Like there's, it's always telling the the Virginia Welcome Center on Route 95. Does not is not actually happen until you're already 40 miles into the state. That's all oh, you geez. need to know about how how Virginians feel about Northern Virginia. <laughs> well, I you gotcha. know, I mean, I mean, so you I mean you know, New Jersey's like a state like that. It's basically when people think New Jersey, they think it's all New York City, and it's like you do know that there's a whole other state that's like not part of New York City, right? Right. But, <laughs> you know, not every like, state no, their uh, concrete green. Right. right, and you right. say Connecticut, people now think New York City, and it's like, no, that you do know that's a whole other state, right? I mean, it's, it's not in New York, but I mean, but you, you get those, I think, especially in the East Coast states because they're so close together and there's so many big megapolis of cities that it's like, yeah, you got Northern Virginia, but then you really have what Virginia is, and, you know. So you get that, I think, all in those East Coast states. Very true. Yeah. So, but when you're writing. Do you put like music on or a soundtrack or something? And if you do, like what what is it? So I actually um, do most of my writing at a Hardee's restaurant. Do you know what a Hardee's is? Yeah, we have Carl Jr. and I'm They're from the Midwest. Okay, so yeah, Carl, yes. If I if I'm translating to West Coast, it would be Carl's Jr. Same same yeah. basic idea. So I do yeah. I do like about ninety five percent of my writing at a Hardee's. Uh. Um, so uh, and and I go there because it has free refills on Coke Zero. And it is the last bastion of, like, there is no wireless Internet at the Hardee's. So I am, like, completely away from the Internet. I am completely distraction-free. But every once in a while, uh, there there will somebody, like, sit in the booth next to me or, you know, on one side of me or whatnot who will be having this really boring, banal conversation. Like, if it was a good conversation, I wouldn't mind. But the really boring ones about the weather or what the weather used to be or whatever, like can really, like I can block out a lot of noise. I cannot block out one conversation. So I will put the headphones in at that point. Um, what I have is a, uh, a playlist of about 20 songs, each of which have probably played no less than 500. Who's, who's on there? Who's on there? That's oh, what I want to know. It is, it is like all vapid pop music. Like it is, it is stuff that again, I've heard it all 500 times, and so I don't actually have to listen to the lyrics anymore because they've played yeah. so many times. But it is like there's I, I there's a heavy dose of Taylor Swift. I do like me some T Swift. The old Taylor no Swift. No fucking I'm not, way. Did you really oh, say Taylor Swift? You listen to Taylor Swift? I lifted. I, I am a 43 <laughs> year old oh straight God. man who listens to Taylor Swift. And, and I you laughed at Jeff and I for talking about Hallmark Mysteries off the air and you <laughs> You should have kept that shit quiet, boy. <laughs> so I thought yeah, you were going to yeah. say Air Supply, so I'm, I, I don't know. Uh, you know I, I, I do at least Air Supply is better than Taylor supply. Swift. So I, I, um, You're catching uh, shit for this one, dude. You could have oh, said no, anyone no, else I, but and her. I, and I, I own it. I'm, and I'm actually, I don't know why, like I just updated my, my iTunes, and so it's like it's not letting me go back to my, uh, my, my library. Come on. Can't I, why is it? It's like, oh, so I, I know it off the top. I mean, it's, so it's, there's a lot of Taylor Swift. Okay. Um, there is uh, some, some Andy Grammer. Uh, there is... Uh, Let's see. It just it keeps uh, it keeps switching off on me, so I, I can't even see. Uh, plain white tees, Sarah Bareilles, uh, Five for Fighting. Uh, so you I mean, like all like, new music? Yeah, but like like vapid pop music from the last five to ten years. Yeah, that's like I'm me. all seventies and eighties. That's all I listen to. No, I mean I do listen I do to that too. too, but but this yeah. is again this is really like a white noise thing. It's like it's it's okay, not. I guess so. so now if if I need to get psyched up, I I do have a psych up song like a power anthem, right? Yeah. It is uh it is the the the, the title track to the movie Eight Mile. It's Eminem, doing mm. Lose Yourself. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Oh, interesting. I love oh, that yeah. song. That's oh, a good I song. get I get pumped up because man, you know I I really do believe that. Like in fiction, you only got one shot. 
You know, like that's yeah. it. Like you, you know, and and like I'm Put not, it out there. you know, okay. So, okay, I, I actually am guaranteed another shot because it, it turns out my next book is under contract. But, you know, most most of the time, you know. But it you, wouldn't have been if the last book sucked. You know, yeah, you're exactly. Well, but you do, you, you feel like your, your back is up against the wall with every book, and it could all go away with every book. And, you know, so like, man, you've got to lose yourself, and you've got to put everything you have into it. And you've got to act like you're, you're trying to get out of the trailer because, man, those food stamps don't buy diapers. You know what I'm saying? That's so right. I do I do listen to some Eminem to keep it real. Um but uh but otherwise yeah it's it's like it's Taylor Swift. And I'm I'm very proud of it. Right. I, <laughs> <laughs> hey Jeff, you remember at the very beginning you said were well, there an author that you weren't happy to talk to? Oh come <laughs> on now. <laughs> Taylor Swift I, is, tells wonderful stories. Nothing but I love think actually for her, you, Brad, nothing but love. <laughs> I think her work is actually her, her latest album. I think is actually terrible. Like I can't even listen to it. It's awful. But her earlier stuff. Yeah, so I, were the first I, four. I, oh, stop! No, it's really good stuff. We'll we'll have to we'll have There's to talk some good about stuff. this offline yeah. sometime. Dude, you know that all Def Leppard stuff is now finally on Spotify for the first time ever. In this, this they finally this, got all their stuff up on Spotify. They're so, one of the so, last so, bands so, to do I'm it. I'm so happy to Wait, hear that. Should I yeah. should I talk about my my Christopher Cross? Like, Dude, I love my Christopher Cross. I okay, love well, there like you go. Cross. Never so be the will, same. Uh, Stailing. Run like the yep. wind. Oh yeah. Ride like the wind. Yeah. I will. Uh, I'll come home and I'll ask Alexa to play the uh, the top Yacht Billboard Rock. songs by Christopher Cross, and she 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 totally hooks me up. Or uh, or you know, definitely, they yeah. have a station on Sirius XM called Yacht Rock, and they play all that stuff. Ambrosia. So John Rob, you know, talk to me. My okay. Now we're now we're getting to a all that new stuff, man. a new level of geekdom. My my fantasy football team. This year was actually named the Newark Yacht Rockers. N- you know, Newark it. because that's where I was. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 Yacht Rockers because yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Yacht Rock Radio. I, I mean, love I, it. I, I, I do. I'm trying I love to think of some, <laughs> some of their taglines. Um, you, you know, oh god, I I can't even. It's it's been too long because you know Yacht Rock, of course, is only during the summer. You only yeah, get the, it's gonna come the back Yacht around Rock. May. Yeah, yeah but it, they get they they get some great taglines on there, and then they and then they play the Bee Gees for you. Where they play yeah. Dan Fogelberg, or oh, I mean, they get, and those were you know what, and those are songs that are nothing but just make you smile. I mean, oh, it's yeah. really, it just makes you smile. It's just happy music. It just makes you smile. It's not downer. It's not putting down anybody or talking bad about anybody. It's just a, just just one of those love songs that they did in the '70s and the '80s. You know, 90% of the songs were about love in one way or another, but they were just so positive and just great. Absolutely, absolutely, and, it, and I was it's playing also that. Um, I was playing that channel for my son, and we were liking a lot of the music, and then they played uh, Yomo Be There by James Ingram and Michael McDonald. And my son goes, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you, get, you, get, you, get, you get a clunker in there now and then. You know, you know it'll be great. Yeah, sure. And then you, and um, then you had to have so the Michael McDonald Brad, talk back, with back to writing yeah. for a second. Um, I'm <laughs> sure. wondering if, since you said you're a pantser, wondering yeah, if sir. you could talk about endings, especially with your two standalones, without giving yeah. spoilers away, of course. Yeah, well, that's that's tough to do, but but really, it is uh, it, it is getting them in that seemingly intractable situation and working their way out of it somehow, um, you know. And and oftentimes, you know, so I do a lot of my brainstorming while I run. Uh, like if I if I get stuck in plot, I go for a run. Um, and you know, there there have been some problems at times where it's like, wow, I I really I'm in a corner here. I don't know what to do about this. And uh, and uh, it's like a, a two-run problem or a three-run problem or something like that, where I'll be, I'll be working on it for a number of days, uh, you know, before the. But then when the when you finally do come up with the solution, oh man, that's euphoria at that point. You know, you you are like pumping your fist because you you really do think every time like, all right, this is it, I'm done, I'm I'm out of luck here, um, you know. And the one problem, like I actually I I did have an experience this year. Um, I got about sixty thousand words into a novel. And this wasn't, I wasn't getting close to the end, but I, I realized that um, maybe I knew the end a little too early and I had made it too obvious. I think anybody reading it would have known the end. And so I actually threw out that 60,000 words, um, you know, because it's like, well, that's, that's the kiss of death in this line of work. You, you know, can't, can't be able to know who done it until, until really late. And so, um, 
you know that, that it's a danger where where you just you you get and thankfully I was I was able to throw that away and stay on schedule but um it's uh it, it is an occupational hazard if you if you pants for sure um but again I you know I think I just I, I try to stay true to the characters and um and hopefully at some point some kind of solution will present itself that was not a very well, I don't good know if you answer. knew I don't know if you knew <laughs> this but uh do you know how Agatha Christie used to write Hmm. Agatha Christie would write out the crime and everything and get it all done and then go back and figure out who did it. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely, yeah. you know. So and, she'd have the book done with the crime and, and the killing and everything, and then she would go back and figure out who did it and then and then write it up. So, yeah, so it was the same. It was, so that's how she did it. So that was pretty organic. She was a pretty organic writer in her time. Yeah. Because really outline, amazed, outline, outline, outline. Yeah, I'm always amazed by the writers who who say they like imagine the last scene and then work their way backward from there. I'm like my my brain just I'm, maybe I'm just not that smart. I'm well, definitely yeah, not that smart. Tough. But that's like going from um, Z to A, and I can't do that. Yeah, I can't do that either. You know, so like I mean, I I generally you know if I have a formula at all, and by the way, I, I love it when those those damn book reviewers, Jeff, um, <laughs> will be like, you know. Oh, this was this was so formulaic, and I want to be like, wait, there's a formula? Is it is there? Actually, could you please tell me what the formula is? Because I'm dying over here. I have no godly idea what the formula is, and if you could just tell me, this might be a little easier. Because right now I'm killing myself. But um, you know, but 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 the, my formula is really like, let me put characters who I feel like I know, and I feel like are you know believable real characters. And then put them in a really bad situation and make it seem utterly hopeless, and then make them work their way out. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of what's been working for me for the last few years, and I've I've enjoyed the process every time. Well, you should tell our listeners that um, I actually wrote a review of your book, and you've seen it, and I actually liked it, the new book. So. <laughs> I know, but I want to. I want to, you know, keep this 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 veneer of animosity between us, you know, because it it's conflict, Jeff. Conflict is always good for stories, don't you know that? And it's it's always good for radio <laughs> as well. Yeah, but it's not That's good true. between author and reviewer. That's what you don't yeah. want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's where it's not exactly. good. No, it's all good. It's all good. We're supposed to. We're well, supposed Brad, to be hey, man, we, we we just kind of busted out fifty or so minutes, and I want to thank you for staying on. I, I didn't. I didn't really even see the time, and I was like, holy Toledo, we've been. We've been killing it here, so it was, I it was the yacht rock that did to us. <laughs> it was, man, because the yacht rock slows everything down, slows you to a crawl. Exactly, nice and I'm smooth. I'm thinking right man. now, nice and that smooth. I can go another, I can go another half hour if you want to roll with the yacht rock. <laughs> like, like, like. Well, well you're the biggest oil part oil of me. Peak. Oh, look at you, baby! Uh, look at look what at he just you, did. Ambrosia action. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna ride like the wind now. He exactly. is. He is. He's gonna be sailing away. <laughs> this, you this got is a about ball, to huh? Descend into something yeah. bad. But just know right, I'm not look, in love. I, yeah, oh, no, no, no stop, stop. All right, hey, woman in the world but, me. Anyhow, Brad. So, so the best place for everybody to find you is just go to bradparksbooks.com, and that that's where they can find all your newsletter and how to get in contact with you and, and stay up on all your current information. Right. That is correct. Bradparksbooks.com. How, how do we see the video series? More than so, uh, yeah, go to Brad Parks Books on Facebook. So if you go www.facebook.com slash Brad Parks Books and kind of root around, you will see the uh, – it is uh, in honor of my eighth book. It is Eight Things I've Learned About Writing. And, yes, ep- episode one and episode two are out so far, and we'll be, we'll be rolling more out in the coming days. And you can, you can click it. on um, – and you have a link on your site. So you say follow browse. You can just click on the Facebook link, and it will take you right there too, straight from your yeah, site. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. So good. All right, man. We want to thank you again for coming out. What is the actual date that the book is released? Uh, just uh, March 6th. Okay. So rush, just a little less than a month away. Rush to then. bookstores on March 6th. It will be there waiting. Pre-order on Amazon, everybody. But it's pre-order available right now. So people can go it pre-order. It is pre-order right from wherever you like to order your books, yes. And that is called Closer Than You Know. So that's the latest book coming out. So, all right, Brad, thank you so much, man. You have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, bye-bye. Thanks again. All right, bye. 
So always great. It was always great. Brad's always a great guest and always got a lot of great insight. And, you know, one of those authors, I guess you want to say, uh, you know, when you start thinking like, you know, who's underrated authors? Like, you, you know, and I'll, you know, I always, you know, put bands in there like, you know, why didn't this band break out? Cause they were so good. It's like, why didn't this author break out? You know, and I think he'd kind of be in that category. Would you agree? Well, I have a feeling that, um, Closer than you know could be his breakout, and I hope it is because he's a great writer and I love his stuff. And I'm not yeah. saying that just because he was on our show. Right, but you agree, like right now, he's like one of those authors. Like, why hasn't he hit it out yet? You know what I mean? Well, and it's not the writing; it's just we got to it's the visibility. We got to get him out it's there. It's just the word. Yeah, it's the word. I mean, you know, yep. so many great authors. I think it. get you know, well, so many great authors kind of get lost in the shuffle because there's so many books out there now, and you know, hopefully our show is able to showcase some of these people and and give people a you know a fresh approach on uh, on on people that are out there that they might not have heard of. Well, so listen, so. everybody listening, go pick up Brad's books. You will not be yeah. disappointed. So, yeah, and just you know, and get and if you want to get one before March sixth when the book comes out, say nothing is right there, and you can read that one. That book was fantastic. Um, Absolutely. I know we reviewed that one for the magazine, and we loved it. So that was definitely a book recommendation. So you can check out that, and then he has a series. But now we're going to be back after March 5th. Um, I don't think we said the 6th, but I think it's the 13th. Am I right? Uh, actually, no, it was the 6th. Uh, we, have an, oh. we have an author signed up. So yes. Oh, okay, so it was March the 6th. Okay. Uh, do we want to give away who the author is? I thought it was uh, who? Well, we, we can. It's up to you. Yeah, tell them. Uh, it's Isabella Maldonado. She is a terrific crime writer, and uh, she's a former police officer. So we got a lot of so great stuff there. Great insight. Looking yeah. forward to talking to her. So March the sixth, we'll be back because I'll be on vacation uh, starting on Saturday and coming back on the third. And very excited to go do that. We're going to be in Thailand and Cambodia. So that's going to be exciting. Shannon, I know, is a little freaking out, and I'm a little freaking out that it gets closer because it's like, oh, my God, it's already Wednesday. I don't know if I'm freaking <laughs> out more to to go or just that first 22 hours of plane ride and airport until you get there. I'm just like, oh, I'm, that's like the dreading part because the first plane ride is 14 hours because we fly from L.A. to Taipei, and then we're in that airport for four hours, until we take off, and then it's another four hours before we get to Bangkok. And it's like, oh, I just want to get off this freaking plane. Wow. Yeah, well, and we I land hope, at midnight. I hope you have fun. Basically midnight, midnight Monday. So we're going to get to our hotel probably like 2, 2.30, try to get to sleep and wake up, you know, like 8, because then, we got all, then we're just going to have Monday, all day Tuesday in Bangkok before we leave to go to Cambodia and go to Sem Reap. And we get to go see our Mecca because if people don't know that I'm Buddhist, and we get to, we're going to go see Angkor Wat. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, and so we stay there for until Friday when we leave, and then we go to Chiang Mai, which is the northern part of Thailand, and then we stay there a couple of days, and then we fly to Phuket, which is on the beaches, and then we're there a couple of days, and we fly back to Bangkok, and then we just fly home. So we're going to be a lot. We're going to be around a lot. Yes, yeah, so we got a lot of moving parts going on. Well, sounds like a wonderful trip, though. I hope it's fun. Yeah, this is like one of those one-in-a-lifetime kind of, you know, things that we get to do, so it's really cool. So, yeah, cool. and you can, you know, I think you can, I don't know what our Instagram is, but, you know, people can maybe find it on Facebook. I don't even know what the hell it is. Do you know what it is? My Instagram. I don't know what my Instagram is. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know, because I really Twitter, don't do, we'll do, I don't it. do I mean, the only thing I do is I tweet stuff out, but I don't do any of that social media. It just drives me bonkers sometimes. I'm just like, it's just so much noise that I can't, there's so much that you can't concentrate on one thing. So I'm just like, uh, my head just spins on all that social media stuff. (laughs) But, all right. So I will see you and we will talk on March the 6th. And um, you have a good one, my man. And I'll try to come back in one piece. 
All right, that that would be nice. And uh, thanks again, Brad, for uh, being on the show yes, with us thank tonight. Yes, Brad. BradParksBooks.com. Remember that, and Closer Than You Know is the name of the book, March 6th. So, all right, Jeff, man, you have a good one. We'll talk to you later. And, of course, everybody, keep reading. See you March 6th. All right. Have a good one.